You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. Um, this is our last installment of the Redemption series. Next week, we begin a new series called The Moment of Truth, and we are going to be going verse by verse through the book of 1 John in the New Testament, a little bitty tiny thing that is so powerful and convicting. So uh, join us next week. It's basically the test on whether you know you're a follower of God or not. So uh, today, redemption, everybody loves the makeover shows, right? Don't you love the before and after shows, whether it's the extreme makeover, uh, you know, where they do the, the people, you know, they do their their teeth and their hair and all that stuff. and Or, or we love the extreme makeover car shows or the, the uh, we love the makeover house homes, you know, where you... You know, they got more and more extreme. They used to just kind of tear down a room or renovate. And then it got to the point where they were just ditch scratching the whole house and building the whole thing in a week. I'm like, it got the same thing. I might just tear it down and build a new one. But uh, this is this is uh, the ultimate makeover, this whole series. We're looking at people who uh, were running from God, people who looked like they didn't have a chance with God, but... The Savior called their name. We looked at a, quite a few people who, um, who had a true life transformation, a complete and total makeover. We're talking about redemption. Now, redemption is a money term. We've talked about this. It means to purchase. It means to, uh, it means to take something that's valueless and make it valuable again. It, it's a money term. It conveys that there is a problem with somebody who has a lack of, of, of uh, ability to pay something back. It conveys a debt problem, a, a price that must be paid, and a purchase that is made. And, and that is Christ. He is our Redeemer. He has taken us who are without value and made us valuable again. He has taken us who, who are deep and rich in sin, but poor in righteousness, and He paid the price on the cross and purchased us with His blood those of us that will respond to his name. So we've been looking at the runners, basically people that were running from God. We looked at the prodigal son, the ultimate runner story. We looked at Moses who uh, who got 40 years in the desert for murder and ran from God. And when he thought his life was over, God said, your life is just beginning. We looked at David who was given everything that a person could imagine, but yet he blew it and God redeemed him, restored him. We looked at Rahab, a woman who had lived a life of destitution and sin, who God said, but I've called you for a great purpose. Last week, we looked at Peter, a disciple of Jesus who who uh, disowned Jesus and ran from him at his greatest moment of need, at Jesus' greatest moment of need. Peter left him, but Jesus restored him. Today, we're going to look at a terrorist turned evangelist. We're going to look at a guy whose story is so significant that uh, had it not happened, we wouldn't have uh, the majority of the New Testament. He's responsible for over a third of the New Testament. This is a redemption story that is quite significant. It's mentioned all through the New Testament and told in completion in four different places, three times in Acts and one time in Galatians. We're going to look at one of those places in Galatians, and we're going to look at one of those places in Acts. It's mentioned in Acts 2, 22, and in 26. Um, in Galatians, they, by the way, Galatia is an area that is currently Turkey today. And there were a bunch of churches in Galatia, Asia Minor there, 
And uh, Paul was responsible for planting and spreading the gospel and establishing leaders in each of those churches. Well, over the course of time, he wrote letters of encouragement to those churches. That's what the New Testament is. It's Paul the Apostle's letter of encouragement to the churches that he helped start and plant. Well, he wrote a letter to the churches in Galatia. And uh, one of the things that he said in that letter in chapter 1 is he gave his testimony. He reminded them of the price of following Christ. Paul gives a before Christ. We'll call that the B.C., he gives us the how he met Christ. We'll call that the HC, the how Christ. And then he gives the after Christ. We'll call that the AC, the BC, the HC, and the AC. And as we look at Paul's BC, HC, and H, uh, AC, I want you to ask the same questions as we look at Paul's. Uh, I want you to ask, what is your before Christ? How was your life before Christ? Uh, if you have a before Christ, maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Maybe you're just checking it out in, in, you know, indefinitely. You're just here and you're tagging along. Well, it's time for you to decide uh, what you're going to do with Christ. So I want you to think about what was your before Christ like. And I want you to think about how you met Christ. Who's responsible? Well, yeah, obviously Christ is responsible, but who did God use? Who came into your life? Who spoke to you? Was it church? Was it a friend? Was it a family member? And the after Christ, what exactly did it mean for your life? How did it change your life? Uh, so we're going to look at the autobiography of an apostle. Probably the greatest conversion story in all of the Bible. His reputation was so bad that at first no one even believed that he could actually be saved. So let's kind of look at it first. Saul the terrorist. By the way, just so that you know, his name is Saul and Paul. Now, he didn't change his name to Paul until he hit the mission field. Uh, we're going to see in a minute that he just served God faithfully for nearly 14 years before he became an apostle. Uh, and it wasn't until he became an apostle that he called himself Paul. Some people would say he changed his name to Paul because it was a spiritual thing. It wasn't a spiritual thing. It was a practical thing. The name Saul is Shaul uh, in Hebrew, and he was speaking to a Gentile nation of people in Rome, in Asia Meyer, and in Greece, and they did not have the same pronunciations as the Hebrews. So out of convenience, he changed his name to Paul once he hit the mission field because it was easier for the tongue. So it's not a spiritual change. The before is Saul and the after is Paul. He was Saul for the entire duration of his Christian life, but he began to use the word Paul as he began to preach to those that were non-Hebrew people. So as uh, we talk about Saul today, I'll use Saul and Paul interchangeably. Saul, the terrorist. Let's take a look. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, For you have heard of my previous way of life. He says, man, you guys know my testimony. He says in Judaism, how he was a, not a Christ follower. He was a devout Jewish person. Uh, and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. He says, I was advancing in Judaism and I was rising in the ranks of authority uh, beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of the fathers. And let me tell you something. He was zealous for the traditions. He was happy. He was a fulfilled person. We need to realize this. 
that before Saul became a Christian, I mean, some people, they got to hit rock bottom before they see Jesus. Saul had a good life. He was rising in the ranks of authority and popularity among his crowd of people and among his position and in his job. He was zealous, meaning he was excited about his future. He was extremely enthusiastic about what he was doing. He was happy. He was fulfilled. He had no desire for Jesus. In fact, he hated Jesus. Paul was not, uh, Saul was not a seeker of God. He didn't come to check out church and God got a hold of him. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus. In fact, he had set out to destroy the church. He says, I was persecuting. I was destroying. I was advancing, attacking the church with reverse evangelism. He was going door to door and basically tracking down every single person who had the reputation of being a follower of Christ. He would go door to door in every city. He would have a letter of authority from the Jewish local authorities, and he would go door to door with his letter and say, are you a follower of the way? And if they were, he would immediately arrest them, grab them, throw them in jail, and sometimes was even responsible for having them put to death. He was a mover and a shaker in his arena of work. He had great motivation. He had sincere passion. And at the heart of who he was, he thought he was doing the right thing for God. Guys, I want you to know something. You can be sincerely wrong. There are a lot of people who believe the wrong thing about Jesus, who believe the wrong thing about God. And it doesn't matter how sincere they are, how enthusiastic they are, how zealous they are for doing things for God. If the belief system is not right, then it doesn't matter. You're sincere, but you're sincerely wrong. He was doing the wrong things in the name of God. And this is something we need to realize that not everyone who is sincerely trying to do something is moving under the power or the uh, authority of God. And uh, in Philippians, he wrote a letter to a church in Philippi. This is what he says about himself. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day uh, of the nation of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the big tribe. That was the tribe of kings, uh, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrew. As to the law, man, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to the righteous which is in the law, the righteousness in the law, he says, man, I was found blameless. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was perfect in regards to what he thought God was about. He followed the Old Testament, the law and the prophets perfectly. He was a Pharisee. And by the way, Pharisees, one of the requirements is that they were married. So Paul, Saul, was at one point married. We don't know what happened to his wife, but because he was a Pharisee and followed the law perfectly, that means that he was absolutely married at one point. We don't know what happened to his wife. By the time he is a, a Christian, she might have passed away. She's not mentioned at all, but he was married. In fact, one of his letters, he mentions that he's thinking about getting married again, but that's another story. He was a Pharisee. Now, if you're not sure what a Pharisee is, let me explain. From the very beginning of the Bible, 
the God of creation set in place his word, his scriptures to guide us and lead us. As, as, as he did in the early days, he gave it through the people, uh, the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And as the Israelites grew in their surroundings, they began to blend with other religions. They began to take a little bit from here, take a little bit from there. And they began, Judaism began to be very corrupt in its religious views and beliefs. Well, there was a group of people that rose up among the Jews to basically be ultra-conservative to get people back to God's word. They were called Pharisees. Pharisee means set apart. They began to proclaim that we are set apart. We are called to be greater and better than those who around us who are in sin. And it sounds like a great thing. The only problem with the Pharisees is that they not only promoted the law and the words of God, but they added hundreds and hundreds of additional laws. They ended up adding over 450 extra laws, saying that if you did not follow these extra laws, then you were definitely on the outs with God and in sin and going to go to a place of destruction after death. So over time, they began to add hundreds of traditions. And by the time Jesus stepped onto the scene, He often called them out because they were these ultra-religious guys that were demanding way too much on the people and and not necessarily living it out themselves. They were power players in the religion area. Uh, Jesus often talked about them. Paul was one of them. Paul was a, a Jewish person in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. There's probably a really good likelihood that Paul was in that room, in that crowd, in that court of the Sanhedrin where all the Pharisees met the night that they condemned Jesus to death. He was a part of the rally that that, uh, condemned and sentenced Jesus to death. Uh, You know, we still have Christians that are Pharisees today um, that that are so ultra-legalistic, conservative, that they've added more to God's word, and it's almost a burden for anyone to try to be a Christian around these people. Well, some of us have accidentally, uh, I say Christians, I don't, I don't consider myself a Pharisee, but uh, some of us have become an accidental Pharisee. Saul was an excellent Pharisee. After Jesus was pursued and crucified um, by the religious elite, Jesus' followers were growing. Paul hated Jesus. He hated his followers with a passion. He was out to stop them at all costs. He hunted them down. He arrested them. Paul was responsible for tearing families apart. He was responsible and oversaw the very first person to ever die for Jesus. His name was Stephen. He was stoned to death. Uh, he was just, as he called himself, a zealous persecutor of Christians. In Acts 3, uh, 8, 3, it says, But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. But as he tells his testimony in Galatians, everything changes with three words in Galatians 1.15. He says, but when God. Guys, listen, that but when God moment. I was a sinner, but when God. I hated Jesus, but when God. And I tried to tear people apart and mocked and made fun and destroyed lives, but when God. Sin and chaos happens when our life begins, but I. 
That's when, when Paul talks about what he did, he says, I destroyed, I advanced, I tore people apart, I persecuted. But when he says, but when God, all of a sudden new life begins, when the sentence begins, but God. Paul's words after Christ were, but God. Before Christ, they are, but I. So let's look at Saul, the throwdown, the how Christ. Uh, in Galatians 1.15, it says, but when God who set me apart from my mother's womb. By the way, God had his eye on Paul from the very beginning. Before he was even born, God said, Paul, you're the man. Saul, you're the one. Uh, Paul didn't know it until he met Christ, but God had it out for him from the womb. He says, and God called me by his grace. That means I didn't deserve it. I did terrible things. Uh, If you were to ask who the most least likely person to be a mover and shaker in the kingdom of God, he said, that's me. But it's God's undeserved favor, that's grace. But by God's grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. The Gentiles, everyone that's not Jewish. God did not ring the doorbell and knock on the door of Saul's life. He kicked the door down. Salvation starts with God, not us. Paul was able to look back and see that it was the hand of God. See, his story is so profound, it's told in entirety in three times in Acts. Let's check out one of those in Acts chapter 9. You've heard parts of it. Maybe you've heard some of it. It's often told without the supernatural parts in order to make it seem a little bit more normal. But guys, there's nothing normal about the Word of God. There's nothing normal about the New Testament, about the Old Testament, about Jesus, about Peter, about Paul. There's nothing normal about redemption. It is a supernatural story with real supernatural events. Paul is a real person. Jesus is a real person. His disciples are real people. This is a real story in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. The way, which is what the Christians were called at the time, were growing in massive numbers. In Acts 9, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats among the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. That's modern Syria today. You know where all that trouble in Syria is, where ISIS is today? Smack dab in the middle of the uh, west coast of Syria, where ISIS is now in control, is Damascus. It still stands today, and this is where he was headed. Uh, He was headed towards the churches, the Jewish churches, the synagogues in Damascus, basically saying, I've got authority to arrest Christians. Tell me where they are because we're coming down on them. That if he found any who belonged to the way, that's what Christians were called, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. And he, by the way, this isn't just men. He dragged, terribly dragged, small uh, women, uh, young uh, teenagers, uh, they, they, he grabbed anybody that was over 12 years old to prison, women and men, um, that he might take them to prisoners of Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and the light of heaven invaded his dark life. It says, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me. Now, I love how, how Jesus takes our pain personal. 
You know, some of you guys, you feel like your life is falling apart. You feel like you're being persecuted. or You've got trials and troubles. You're hurting. You're, you've got all kinds of things going on. Does Jesus care? Yes, he cares. When you hurt, he hurts. When you are attacked, he is attacked. And I love how Jesus makes our pain, their pain, personal. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul was not seeking God. Sometimes we need to fall down to see up, and he knocked him off his high horse. It was a throwdown. And Paul says, or Saul says, he says, Who are you, Lord? Saul asks, he says, I am Jesus. And I love that. Just very, you need to circle that if you have your Bible. I am Jesus. Whom you're persecuting, he replied. He says, When you attack my disciples, you attack me. Paul says nothing. Now he says, Now get up, go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. Now, remember, Saul doesn't like Jesus, and he doesn't like Christians. And Jesus just struck him blind. And now he's helpless. He, he, he has no ability to get anywhere without assistance. And he's told where to go. He says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound and did not see anyone. Some of the other translations said they did not hear a voice. Uh, they Uh, What that literally means is they could hear noise, but they could not comprehend what was being said. It was all a mystery to them, inaudible sounds. Uh, Verse 8, it says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, I want you to imagine if, if you were just on your way to work, and uh, you suddenly went off the road, went into a ditch. Jesus says, uh, your life is about to change. Get up and go to Saxe, Texas. 5817 Vista Park, Saxe, Texas. That's my house. And somebody there is going to talk to you about something. Just get up and go. And you're like, yeah, whatever. And you try to open your eyes and you're blind. You're like, you're calling people. Hey, I can't see anything. You got a friend with you. It's like, you're, you're helpless. How depressed might you be? How heavy might you be? How confused might you be? Knocked down, Paul blinded, praying, soul searching, thinking about what just happened, what's going on in his head. Meanwhile, in Damascus, there's a disciple named Ananias who uh, doesn't like Paul, knew that Paul was coming, and was scared because word had got out that Paul was coming to arrest him and all the other disciples. And Jesus shows up to Ananias and says, Ananias, I have a special assignment for you. I have an EGR, an extra grace required person that's going to be coming to your door. He gets a vision, and the Lord told him, verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I love how exactly detailed Acts is. It doesn't say go to this house. It said, man, you see, Acts was written when these people still lived. At any given moment, someone could have actually gone to the house of Judas on Straight Street in Damascus and rung that doorbell, knocked down that door and said, hey, is this a real story? You see, the writer of Acts, Dr. Luke, he wanted to make sure that all of this was validated. He did great research to make sure all these details were exactly as it happened. He says, go to Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, Ananias, the Bible says, knew exactly who Saul was and was scared of him and did not want to go and kind of, kind of somewhat had resistance in his heart. Uh, Saul 
was, uh, was hated by Christians. He was a horrible person. He was not to be trusted. And Ananias thought maybe that this is a trick. The Saul was lying. And God says, you know what? Trust me. But the Lord said in Ananias, verse 15, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Guys, listen, it doesn't matter what you think about that person at work that you are sick of. It doesn't matter what you think about that singer or that musician or that family member. If it's someone that God has chosen, you can't stop it. And if it's someone that God has chosen, they can't stop it either. This is what's interesting about, you know, people say, well, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Not always. He wasn't very gentlemanly with with Saul. He actually knocked him off a horse and said, get your life together or it's over today. God blinded Saul when Saul wasn't even seeking for Jesus. He was seeking to destroy Jesus. Verse 16, he says, I will show him, Saul, how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house, and he entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, he says, The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me here so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off Saul's eyes, and he could see again. His blind eyes were open. Salvation. Some of you, you're blinded by circumstances, by your past, by a trial, by a pain. You're blinded by a circumstance that happened in your life. And for some reason, you've let those scales keep you from seeing the reality of the goodness and the grace and the salvation of God. Thank God for the Ananiases in our life who will break through and confront us and be led of God to talk to us. Those scales fall off Saul's life. His, His physically blind became able to see, but his spiritual blindness went away as well as he could see. He got up and was baptized because every person that is saved is baptized. If you're in this room and you are born again, if you've said yes to Jesus and you're not baptized, you're in disobedience to the scriptures. Salvation is not, you know, acquired through baptism. Baptism is the outward demonstration of what God has done inside. If you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, you are in rebellion with the scriptures. So it's time for you to get baptized. You can sign up today on the connection card. Just tell us you're ready. It says immediately he got up and was baptized. The outward sign of what God did inside. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Uh, Once hunting them down, now he relies on them for food and shelter. Now that's the how Christ. Now the AC, the after Christ, uh, the Saul, the transformer, the extreme makeover begins here. After this, he went out to study God's word on his own. Look at how Galatians says it. In Galatians 1.17, he says, After this, he says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see who the apostles, uh, who uh, who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Now, uh, this is, this is um, interesting. This is the no BS. That means no Bible school. He didn't go uh, to the uh, um, Jerusalem Christian College and to get taught by the apostles. Uh, we don't know how long, but he went to Arabia. It believe, it's believed for 
possibly up to three years because his time in Arabia and Damascus was over three years where he just was literally, he said, taught the scriptures by Jesus himself. It was supernatural. And then it says, later I returned to Damascus. After three years in Arabia and Damascus, Paul stresses what he didn't do. He didn't go to Jerusalem Christian College. Uh, He didn't start a TV uh, show. He didn't start a radio program. He didn't start this some social media ministry and and immediately begin his Saul the Converted Twitter uh, page. Uh, He didn't go on tour. He didn't start Instagramming his journey. Uh, He didn't write a book about his amazing conversion from terrorist to evangelist. What did he do? He dropped out of sight, got into God's word, and submitted himself to the people around him. He returned to Damascus and just sat as a disciple under those that were over him. In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, uh, at once he began to preach in the synagogues of Damascus um, that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, he, he was sitting under authority, but he could not contain what Christ had done. Pharisees were sent there to take prisoner. Uh, he was a Pharisee sent there to take prisoner. He was now a preacher. In Acts 9, it says that his influence in Damascus got so great and it grew so much that the Pharisees in Damascus plotted to kill him. And the Christians, his old friends, tried to kill him. And his new friends, his former enemies, put him in a basket and secretly snuck him out of town in a basket. So at that point, he goes to Jerusalem and meets the apostles for the first time. In Galatians 1.18, it says, Then after three years... After his th- three years after his throwdown with Jesus, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. That's Peter. Uh, it's the first time he met an apostle. First time he met any of them. And he stayed with him for 15 days. How long is about 15 days? Two weeks. All right. So he spent three years in Damascus, in Arabia, two weeks with the apostles And he goes, and I saw no other apostle except for James, the Lord's brother. So the whole time he was in Jerusalem, all of the apostles lived there. He had the opportunity. They had the opportunity to meet him and experience this great story. But only Peter and James of the apostles did he ever meet. In Acts 9, he tells us why he was there for only 15 days. Because nobody wanted him there. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, When I came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. Only one disciple, other than the apostles, was willing to invest in him. And his name, the Bible says, is Barnabas. And there's a disciple who walked with Jesus, one of the disciples of Jesus, who wasn't one of the 12 apostles, but he was a disciple. His name was Barnabas. And he began to invest and pour his life into Saul. He was the only one. Well, as Paul began to preach in Jerusalem, his old friends, the Pharisees, once again plotted to kill him. And the Christians were more than happy to get him out of town because they didn't trust him. So they, again, his new friends snuck him out of town and they hustled him off to a place called Caesarea. Um, And again, his life was spared. He he was homeless. He had nowhere to go. Uh, Paul reminds uh, us of his before and his after and his how. In Galatians 1.20, he says, And I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. He says, I'm not lying. And this is exactly 
how it happened. I want you to take a look at this man. This is, this is Paul's runaround, Saul's runaround. He was saved on the road to Damascus. After this radical conversion, he was led to Arabia for an indefinite amount of time. We don't know how long, but between Arabia and Damascus, he was there for three years. He finally was chased out of town, went to Jerusalem. He was there two weeks and chased out of town and sent over to Caesarea. He was there for a couple of months. We don't know exactly how long. And after he was in Caesarea, they didn't want him there either. So guess where they sent him? They sent him home. And he went to Tarsus where he was born and raised, which is uh, modern day in uh, modern day uh, Turkey today. And so he's just hanging out in Tarsus for nine years. Nobody wanted him. And you know what the Bible says about him during that time? Nothing. Nothing. Until Barnabas says there's a church in Antioch that is made up of Christians that are not Jewish. And they don't have a problem with you because you never tried to persecute them. And I could use your help. So Barnabas goes to Tarsus and says, will you help me pastor this church in Antioch? So Barnabas and Saul then moved to Antioch and they begin to lead that church together and they submit themselves under that church's leadership. This is Paul's runaround. This was approximately 12 to 13 years. And while he was serving in the church in Antioch with Barnabas, God calls them both through prophecy that they are to go to the rest of the world and tell the entire non-Jewish population that Jesus is the Messiah for everyone, not just the Jewish people. And so they are sent out as missionaries and evangelists from their home church at Antioch. And uh, he goes on, uh, the Bible only records three, but he goes, up, he goes on up to five missionary trips, five missionary journeys, each of them lasting several years. And every time he was done, he would go back to Jerusalem and check in with the apostles and give them a full report. And then he would go back to Antioch because that was his home church. Every missionary, every evangelist, every minister must have biblically a home church. Even Paul, the apostle, had a home church in which he was sent from. So four thoughts, and we're going to wrap this up. Four thoughts about the redeemed. We got the before Christ, the how Christ, now the after Christ. Let's talk about what a real makeover looks like. According to this story, here's the first thing. Four thoughts about the redeemed. The truly redeemed are radically transformed. This is how you know someone is really redeemed, truly regenerated, completely and fully, truly born again, because they can't keep to themselves about what God, they're not the same person anymore. Now, you might struggle with some sin for a while. You might have some bad habits that you're going to break off your life. As you walk with Jesus, those things will become less and less a battle for you. But I tell you, when you are truly born again, when you are truly redeemed, your life is changed. The old is gone, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, the Bible says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are brand new. You got a new path, a new life, a new future. If you're truly redeemed today, your life is transformed. And your life that is transformed is generally what happens within that one foot circumference of you. Because your circumstances may not change. But you're changed. You are transformed. 
And we see this over and over with Saul. Uh, in, in, a, in Galatians 1.22, it says, I was personally known to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. Uh, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. A new attitude towards Jesus. He had a new attitude towards Christians. He had a new attitude towards the gospel. He had a new attitude towards the Bible. He had a new attitude, a whole new attitude towards life. He was a new man, transformed from the inside out, all because of Jesus. You see, this transformation is a miracle that depends on God alone. You cannot transform yourself. And the gospel, this conversion, man, this redemption story of Saul reminds us that, that when God calls you, he can change you. And, and it is something he alone can do. God set him apart. God caught him. God got his attention. God healed him. God transformed him. God commissioned him. God sent him. God empowered him. God takes full responsibility for that transformation. Paul did not deserve it. It was a work of grace. We can do nothing to deserve or assist the transformation that happens when the Holy Spirit takes over. Galatians 1.11 says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a Jesus thing. This is a God thing. Galatians 6.14, he says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He says, man, the world is dead to me. It is Christ in me that lives now. Here's the second thing. The truly redeemed cannot be quiet about it. Those that are truly redeemed, you have inside of you this desire, this urge that you got to tell somebody. I don't know about you. I'm kind of a news hound. Anybody here like, like obsessed with news? Anybody other than me? All right, I'm like, I have like multiple news sources that I read all day long. And uh, I start the day in the news, end the day in the news, throughout the day I sprinkle it with news. I got my news updates, uh, breaking news, bloop, you know, I'm like, I, so I'm, a, I'm current. Uh, I love the news. And, and some of the interesting news I can't help but talk about, right? My wife, she reads the news and she'll mention a story to me and most of the time I've already heard it, but <laughs> because I, I read the news probably too much, uh, and I don't let it get me down because I have a perspective of Christ that is actually, I think, pretty healthy. So I'm not like, oh, the world is terrible. You know, I actually, you know, ha God is good. He's in control and he's in control of my life. So I read the news knowing that Christ is good and in charge. Uh, but sometimes you read something, you just got to tell somebody. Anybody know the story like that? They're like, did you hear? Did you hear what happened? No way. Did you follow what happened? Man, have you followed? Because there's just some news you just can't keep to yourself. Guys, there's no greater news than the salvation of Jesus Christ. The price that was paid for our life. There's no greater news than the blood that was shed on Calvary. There's no greater news than I was dead and now I'm alive. He doesn't take bad people and make them good. He takes dead people and makes them alive. There's no greater news than I was once dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. Guys, that's news I can't keep quiet. And the redeemed get it. The redeemed know it. And the redeemed can't keep quiet. Now, some of you are afraid of telling people, but that desire inside of you is burning every day. And you're praying for uh, courage and boldness, which will be given to you by the Holy Spirit when you ask for it. 
But that's how you know you're redeemed. Because you've got to tell somebody. Paul immediately experienced this. He says immediately, he says, um, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. To anyone that would listen. Freedom, the greatest news in the world. Telling the world of Jesus' love and his hope and his amazing conversion. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. Here's the third thing the truly redeemed understand, the price and the cost. The price that was paid and the cost that is required of us. The redeemed understand the suffering price of Christ. It is not taken for granted. The redeemed know how to worship. Let me put it that way. When it comes time for us to worship, we're not trying to avoid that time of worship because the redeemed can't help but worship. You know what I'm saying? I can't keep quiet. When I get in here, and even no matter what my weekend's like, no matter what the attendance is like, which, by the way, that gets me down. And I come in, and I'm like, oh, God, there's nobody here today. And all of a sudden, we start worshiping. I'm like, God, but you're good. I've been redeemed. I am, I am redeemed. I am alive in Christ. And the redeemed can't help but remember the price that was paid and glorify Christ. We can't, the redeemed don't get weary of worship. We understand the price. This is a beautiful aspect of of the redeemed. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that you, remember, Paul is this guy who was a terrorist or an evangelist. He He was someone who counted himself the worst of the worst. He says this, I pray that you, people in Ephesus, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. This is what he prays. I pray that you can grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I can't even understand it. That you may be filled to the measure, to the top of all the fullness of God. He says, if you can just grasp the amazing price, the redemption that was paid for us, the love of God. Paul was overwhelmed. If you read his letters, he is overwhelmed that while he was a sinner and an enemy of God, yet Christ died for him. By the way, he also understood the cost. Uh, here's a, something in your notes is the greater the calling, the greater the calling you have, uh, the greater the cost you will have. Um, let me put it this way. Paul understood that making a difference in the world means absorbing substantial amounts of pain. In Acts chapter 9, when he was called in verse 15, it says, The Lord said to Ananias, Go to the man that I have chosen. He's going to be an instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to their kings, and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he will suffer in my name. And Paul did suffer. He had assassination attempts. He was uh, stoned nearly to death multiple times. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was hungry. When we think of Paul, we think of this kind of like normal burly guy with a kind of a beard, kind of a hunter, maybe a, you know, guy with a big beard, kind of Doug Downacy type guy. It was way more than that. This was a man whose body was loaded with the scars of being beaten multiple times, of being stoned to death, nearly to death multiple times. In one instance, it was believed that he was dead, and they took him out to town and left him there to be uh, eaten by the wolves. And the disciples went and prayed, and he was miraculously alive. 
This was not a guy who walked around normal looking. He was a man who carried the scars of his cross, of his walk with God. Paul's accomplishments and his sufferings uh, went together. It's not because God had some sort of secret vendetta against Paul, uh, make him drink a little of his own medicine. It was because uh, for Paul to be used greatly, he had to be wounded greatly. Guys, this is your story too. If you want to be used greatly by God, you better be ready to be wounded greatly by God. God often has to bruise you before he can use you so that you'll be sensitive to his touch and reliant on him. And I believe the greater the call, the greater the cost. And the truly redeemed understand this. If you really want to be greatly used by God, you need to accept this now. You're going to be tired. You're going to be betrayed. And you're going to suffer. But Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, but our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul understood the price and the cost. And his impact on Christianity was enormous. During his ministry, he wrote 14 of the books that are found in the New Testament. He carried out over five missionary journeys. He paid a price for his devotion for Christ. He spent five years of his ministry in prison. And ultimately, at the end of his life, he had his head cut off in Rome simply because he proclaimed the truth of Christ. Number four, the truly redeemed are often misunderstood. The church still struggles with this. At first, everywhere Paul went, nobody wanted anything to do with him. They were scared of him. Everywhere Paul went, they're like, no, 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 that's okay. That's cool. That's cool. Let's send him over here. Let's send him over there. I don't trust him. Guys, man, the church is still guilty of that. Sometimes the church doesn't know what to do with the newly redeemed. We're often scared of them. We're not really sure what to think of that person. Are you really legit? If anything, we need to be like Barnabas who welcomes him in because it was because of Barnabas that Paul became an apostle. Paul was called by Barnabas to go to Antioch to lead a ministry where he heard the prophecy to go to the world. God is still doing surprising, extreme makeovers. Jesus is still changing lives. This fundamental truth is the one core that we are we to be about. Your life can be radically changed by Jesus. And I want you to think of that person that you have an anxiety over, that Christian or that maybe Christian or that possible Christian. And the church is filled with, with Saul's who are just looking for Barnabas. Here's the last thing. No one is beyond the reach of God for redemption. God can touch and change anybody. The worst sinners often make the best saints. This is what Paul said to his young disciple, Timothy. He was writing to Timothy. That letter is called 1 Timothy. It's written by Paul. And he says, this is a faithful saying, Timothy. He says, I'm worthy of all exception that Jesus Christ, the Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. He says, I'm the chief of sinners. If there's anyone on this planet that deserves death, that deserves judgment, that does not deserve forgiveness. He says, it's me. I've ruined families. I've ruined marriages. I've ruined kids' lives. I am responsible for the death of people who were just trying to serve Jesus. I was hateful. I was vindictive. I was moved by revenge. I'm the chief of sinners. 
But Galatians 1.5, he says, but when God, when God. You see, when we hear this, that God can touch anybody, we usually have two responses, one of two. The first one is, I, I don't really want everybody to be touched. Maybe you're thinking of that person who abused you or abused that friend of yours or that person that you read about or heard about and who's done this despicable, horrible thing. You're like, God, I don't want you to touch them. I don't want them to go to heaven. I don't want them to receive grace. I don't want them to be forgiven. But when God, but when God, when God shows up, he takes the chief of sinners. The second response is, but they are really far from God. You think, is it really possible? I would love for them to know Jesus. I would love, for, that'd be great, but they're just too far off. They've lost their way. They, they, they're, they've done too much. They're involved in, their lifestyle is too deep. Guys, but when God, that's all it takes is a but when God. Paul is a story of two men. And I'm not talking about Saul and Paul. I'm talking about Saul and Paul, the before and the after, the old man and the new man. So what's your story? That's my question today. What is your story? What is your before Christ? What is your how Christ? What is your after Christ? Are you a Saul? I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was angry. I was pride-filled. I was perverted. I was blind. But the scales are off. Here's what I want you guys to do. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to, to do this with conviction. And, I, if, and if, this is not, if this is not what you can do, then I want you just to, with confidence, just stay where, right where you are. But I, I would like, if you're here today and you'd, you'd like to, to basically declare, I am redeemed. Uh, if you have been transformed by the life of Christ, if you have a before and a how and an after, here's what I would like for you to do. If you've been transformed by God's grace, I want you to stand right where you are. And if, you, if you're not sure, and if you haven't, just stay seated and, and know that we love you whether you're standing or seated. It makes no difference. Uh, and how we're going to respond to you. But those of you that are standing, I, I pray that you truly are redeemed. I pray that you truly are uh, on that process, on that road of transformation. And I want to read a verse to you. Uh, where Christ is, there is always a before and after. There is always a transformation where Christ has his redemption. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9. It says, or do you not know? I want you to read this with me. Just kind of look at the screen. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanders, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that seems like a heavy verse to end on, but that next verse that we're about to read is, is our story. This is our story. The next verse says, and that is what some of you were. And that is what some of you were. Some of you were thieves. Some of you were sexually immoral. Some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were drunkards. Some of you were slanderers. Some of you were swindlers. Some of you were rich and deep in sin and dead. He says, but that is what some of you were. But you were washed. 
and you're sanctified and you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. God, thank you for your redemption. God, that is what some of us were. God, let this song be our praise of worship, our prayer of declaration today. Let's sing this together. Seems like all I could see was struggle.
Father, thank you so much for the blood of Jesus Christ, which is able to save anyone. God, if there's anyone here in this room that doesn't know you as their loving Savior, as their Lord of their life, God, I pray that they would make that declaration today. Right where you're sitting, right where you're standing, if you've not made that declaration, just tell Jesus, forgive me my sin. Wash me clean. Redeem my life. Here I am. I will follow you, Jesus. Show me how. Teach me how. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.